Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Boston University Podcast. If it's your first time listening, I'm John, a former animal cruelty officer and a former animal shelter supervisor. And I'm Jamie. I am a certified dog trainer and canine behavioral consultant. On this episode, we are finishing the Q&A from last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, definitely go and check that out. We did a full Q&A from Facebook and we had a bunch of questions left over we weren't able to get to after 40 minutes. So this week we are going to finish up those questions. Last week's episode was a lot of fun. I think a lot of people learned a lot about their specific issues that they're having right now, especially during still COVID times. A lot of people are still quarantining, definitely social distancing. So in terms of getting a trainer and working on socialization, this is kind of hard. So I think these are really awesome questions. So like John said, if you didn't get to listen to last week, we highly suggest it. And then this week, we're going to go into some extra ones that we didn't get some time to do. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. One of the first ones we weren't able to get to from last week is a question from Shana. Shana said, I just got a Kane Corso. He play bites like crazy. He has all the toys in the world, and I walk away when he does it. Still struggling with the play bites. You asked how old, and she said he was eight weeks. Super young. Super young. Well, now he's nine weeks. Uh, now he's nine weeks because this question was from last week. Mm-hmm. But I'll just start with the the basics on this. Eight weeks is really young to have a puppy. Yes. Most puppies should not be separated from their mother until about 12 weeks because there's a whole bunch of developmental stages that happen in those first 12 weeks of, of life. And those are important things that they learn from their mother, from their siblings. Um, if you want to go into detail about bite inhibition, that's probably the biggest thing. And that's why she's having all these issues. Yeah. So bite inhibition is basically when puppies play with their siblings, play with their mom, and they get yipped at or growled at. Right. We've all seen it. Puppies yeah. playing and then uh, one of them gets bit a little too hard and they start to get pretty vocal. Yes. If puppy A bites puppy B and puppy B yelps, puppy A is now learning, okay, I bit you too hard. I'm going to try and not do that next time. Right. And then the fun usually stops when the yelping happens. Exactly. And they get scared or they run or then they get angry. So it really depends on the type of puppy that you're dealing with. But this lets puppy A learn a little bit more about the pain that he can inflict on someone. Right. So he learns, okay, these teeth can hurt. When they are not with their puppy siblings for enough time, and that's why John was saying 12 weeks is usually the best time to uh, detach them. But up until then, they're learning all these great things. And if that doesn't happen, then you are the one they are going to practice on. But you do not act like a puppy. So this is confusing to them. We make very different noises and we act very different. So I wouldn't even say it's confusing. It's just the whole the whole purpose of this stage of their life is to learn and we don't know. It's more confusing for us. We don't yes. know that we're supposed to educate them and teach them that this isn't the appropriate thing to do. Yes. So without any proper correction that they can inherently understand, they're just going to continue to do it. And if it never gets addressed, mm-hmm. they're they're going to do it well into their their early years. Oh God, I hope not. The thing that always catches me about my human clients is that they do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. Isn't that the definition of insanity? <laughs> Probably, I think. I've heard I that believe before. it is. <laughs> so don't be insane and switch things up. So what I usually say to my puppy clients when they're having this issue, I usually ask them what they're doing at the moment. Obviously, um, she is getting up and walking away. This does help sometimes because they're seeing, okay, when I when I bite you, the fun ends, you leave me. 
So I'm going to say she can continue to do that, but I think she's going to have to do something vocal to get the puppy to understand that she is in pain when it happens. So either a yip, I usually tell my clients to do a yip. Hopefully that doesn't hurt your ears over this loudspeaker. Looks good. Okay. Um, And that usually gets their attention. I actually did it today with one of my other puppy clients and he looked at me like, what in the world just happened? And he stopped in his tracks and he stopped biting me. And then when he looks at you, he or she looks at you like, what was that? That's when you say, good boy, good girl. And I, I always say thank you because I, I think it's nice to be polite. And if they go back for it, you do the same yip. And I, we, we try to get a reaction out of them that says, what's going on? What just happened? When this happens, be sure to congratulate them when they stop. You know, you have to let the grudge go because they're starting to understand what the problem is. But if you don't tell them good boy, good girl, they're just going to go right back to it. One of our other people on here also had a similar thing to say. It's very funny. Uh, Melissa and her both went to Rowan with me. She's having a similar issue. I think her puppy is a little bit older. I want to say he's coming around the four-month mark, which brings up the whole teething era, which is basically four weeks long. It's usually from four and a half months to five and a half months, but that can happen early. It can happen late. Every puppy's different. So... Because he's a little bit older, I'm going to say possibly that he's starting to teeth, that maybe his teeth may be starting to fall out and it's it's really painful for him. A lot of times I use the explanation of when we give babies the teethers that come out of the freezer, we give them that because it feels good on their gums. It, when they bite down, it takes the pressure off, just like when you have a toothache and you put your finger on the toothache and then you release it and the pain comes back. Similarly to that, dogs are biting on us because when they bite, all their pain goes away for that second and then they open up again and then it comes back. So they're understanding, oh, wow, you know, mom and dad have give on their hands. They've got blood. They've got skin. It feels really good. It's a little relief from the yes. discomfort. But it's different. A lot of people want to trade with toys, like a stuffed toy or, you know, something that isn't like our skin and they're expecting the dog to want to have it. You are like so much better than that toy. So the dog's going to be like, I don't need this. I have you. It's fine. Never have I seen a puppy that is play biting or, you know, mouthing or teething. They are not doing it to be mean. And both both of these women acknowledge that, that they have really cuddly sweet dogs, but they just don't know what to do. So what do we do? Teething rings are great for dogs. I suggest um, they have like ones that are kind of like bully sticks, but they're they're more designated for puppies. I think they're made of yogurt. Talking about the the ones that that Pudge really likes? Yes. Yeah, it's made of yogurt. They're awesome. It's like sensitive stomach safe too. They're they're actually on our PU approved products list. If you go to our website, go into resources, PU approved products, or I think it's under learn now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the same ones that we gave Pudge all throughout her puppyhood. and that those. That was a godsend as far as her uh, biting biting because we got her at, at three weeks. Yes, you heard that right. Three weeks, not three months. And that was, again, because she had no mother. So we actually took her in and she was mixed the milk in with her wet food and everything. We basically raised her from birth almost. We got to see her drink water for the first time. So three weeks, you can only imagine the biting was way worse than it would Bad. be for a dog that was separated at eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So we had to act as her mother would have done or her siblings would have done. So like I said earlier, the yip really works, but you have to do it when the teeth actually hit your skin. So it can't be like when they're coming out of a bite and then you just randomly yip because they're not going to believe you. It needs to be specific and it needs to be like 
you're actually doing it when the bite is happening for them to understand. Um, you can also do the eh, eh, which is always great. I don't like to use no at all. I think no is a, is more of a word. And just like kids, you say no enough, it absolutely means nothing after a while. When you do the eh, eh, it's more of a sound. It gets their attention. The same thing with the yip. You want it to be something that we're not yelling at them, but it definitely gets through their ears and they're like, oh, sorry. And then we can get their reaction that way. And then obviously let them know, good job, you're listening. You can, like we said, use those puppy rings. Bully sticks are great. Yak bones. Anything that's going to keep your puppy's belly okay during this time. We don't want to go super fatty things to gnaw on. The puppy teething rings are perfect. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even go crazy with marrow bones or anything just yet. Yeah. I would just stick with those teething rings. The, those were, like I said, a godsend with Pudgeline, so... Mm-hmm. I would recommend them to any puppy owner who's got a puppy that likes to bite on them. Absolutely. I understand what she's saying about getting up and walking away. Sometimes that does help, but sometimes they're really not getting it. It really depends on the... But you're teaching them something very different than what they actually need to learn. When you get up and walk away, you're teaching them, all right, when you bite me, the fun stops. Mm -hmm. But we also want to be able to teach them the proper threshold for their bite inhibition. Exactly. We want them to understand... All right, when I bite down that hard, it hurts. Mm-hmm. But when I bite down this hard, it doesn't hurt and everyone's having a good time still. Yes. So you want them to understand exactly how much pressure they're able to put on you mm-hmm. or, or on something else. This way, it, it kind of translates to all kinds of things in their life. Anytime they're using their mouth for something, Absolutely. it kind of it helps them understand how much pressure they're using and if it's going to cause damage or not. That's a really good point. So you want to head to the next question? Absolutely. Lauren Greenberg is looking for tips for leash aggression specifically with dogs her dog will growl aggressively and spin around or sometimes just does one lunge towards them and then it is over so short-lived i would call it leash reactivity Mm -hmm. to dogs yeah yeah that's that's actually pretty common oh super common i believe lauren's dog is also a rescue i think she was a little bit older when she got her so i don't think we're super understanding of what her past entails uh, I don't think she plays with other dogs. I'm I'm pretty sure she's she uh, keeps her away from them for most of the time. But for Lauren, the best way to get this fixed is to work on your commands when you're walking. We want her to think that when dogs are around, only good things happen to her. So she gets treats, she gets love, she gets affection from you. And we're not putting her in a situation that she can't handle. So it's not like you're going to be walking her right next to a dog so she feels vulnerable. You're going to be keeping the three Ds in mind distance duration and distraction so when you start out those all those three things should be low so the the dog which is the distraction that's a big thing so maybe start with something a little bit smaller something else that react she reacts to maybe like a squirrel or something like that start small if you can't and dogs are only a thing go for it have her much farther away than she usually would be so let's say she reacts at 50 feet most of the time that's when she freaks out I would stay back about 75 feet so she can see the dog. The ears are up, but she's not losing her mind yet. And you're constantly telling her to look at you. You're telling her she's a good girl. You're giving her treats and good treats. Not not any regular dog treat. I wouldn't even say the soft baked ones are good for this. When you are working with, with dog reactivity, it's really good to, to use the, the yummy, smelly stuff. So like cheese, roast beef, steak. I stay away from chicken, but that's just my own preference. So if your dog is fine with chicken, go for it. Uh, It really depends on what your dog really likes and what they're going to work for. You have to make it worth it for them so they can see, oh, I'd rather not bark and get this treat instead. The idea is to catch the barking. So the more you catch the barking and you're shoveling food into their mouth, the less they're barking and the less likely they are to do it in the future. We want to break 
the routine of the barking and getting herself all worked up. Most dogs that bark like that, the barking actually gets them all tense. What, like they uh, gas themselves up? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Like if, if I can keep a dog calm without barking, they get they really do stay at like a low level of reactivity. But the second they get themselves all hyped up, that's when you lose control and it's hard to get them to recover. So my best advice to Lauren is keep keep tabs of your 3Ds, your duration, your distance, your distraction, and make sure you're using really smelly food and work on your look before you hit the streets. So make sure she can do the look inside. Make sure she can do the look uh, near your house or your apartment without any stimulus going on. And then you can slowly add dogs to it. But you have to go in baby steps. We can't just give her the big kahuna and think that she's going to be able to look at you, no problem. So start small and really try to get her attention. Um, another great thing is having a front front clip harness on rather than a back clip or anything else. Um, anything, you know, adversive training, any, you know, prongs or shocks or anything like that, that's going to make that situation absolutely worse. So anything from the front will really help her have less reactivity and give you better control when you're walking her. That is key, keeping her extremely close to you. Now we're not like holding her back or like, you know, pulling her in any way. We just want her by our hip. And usually I like to put myself between my dog and the other dog, just so the dog feels a little bit more protected until you can kind of get her um, up to speed and a little less reactive. And then you can kind of give her a little bit more freedom on which side she wants to be on. I just want to quickly graze over this one. You had already kind of answered it, but Loretta Case is having an issue with her dog who is now reactive after the pandemic. So if anyone has any pandemic concerns with their dog not being socialized for you know six months now and now having issues with other dogs uh, on walks or in any situation, we did put an episode up about this. Life after quarantine, preventing separation anxiety, your dog and COVID-19. That was posted on June 26th. That's episode nine of this season, season two. So if you want to go back and listen to that, if you're concerned about separation anxiety or other issues that might surface as a result of this lack of socialization due to COVID-19, then definitely check out that episode. It's got a ton of information that specifically addresses Loretta's concern and will address your other concerns about the pandemic as well. Poor Franklin. He's such a cutie. So next question is from Amanda. Amanda says, Chevy is growling at us if he's laying on the bed and we move him in a different spot. It doesn't seem like aggression, but he also does this if we sit at the dining room table and he wants to sit on our laps. You said, is this when you physically move him on the bed? Have you asked him to move to a different spot without touching him? And if so, does it work? Amanda replied, only when we physically move him. If we ask, he doesn't move. Sounds like Pudge. <laughs> this, I remember when this was foreign to us. And we we're like, why, why, why is this happening? Yeah. I feel like we've seen this quite a few times now in the last few years. Mm -hmm. I find it's more of a small dog trait, which Chevy is. He's a part of the group of the, um, the Shih Tzu pit, pit bulls. The Shih bulls? The Shih bulls. Um, yeah, I, I see that as well. Although that was an issue with a larger dog as well, wasn't it? Oh, yes, they definitely have it. I just think it's more common in smaller dogs just because a lot of them have Napoleon complexes. So what do you think the root of the cause is? I think it's it's being a little, and I don't normally go for this, but I think sometimes it's it's stubbornness, uh, maybe a little bit of guarding. I know she's saying it's not aggressive, and it, and it probably isn't because usually aggression is deemed as you know really toxic behavior, but it may be the start of like, well, this is my spot, and I don't want to move, and, and I'm only going to move if you physically remove me, and I'm going to growl at you, but I may not bite you. Yeah, 
Like he's not there yet. He's not at the biting phase yet. Well, guarding it is a a protection of a resource. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, would the resource be just their comfort in that spot that they're in? Or do you think the entire bed? No, I want to say with his uh, specific situation, I think it's the spot that he's in. He doesn't want to physically move. But I think he typically goes for their spots in bed on purpose. Do you know what I mean? I really can't say I blame him. No, right? It's a good spot. But then my question to the dining room table, he, he does this. He'll, I guess he'll growl if he wants to be on their laps. I'm wondering, you know, is food coming to him from the table where he knows if he's on someone's lap, he's going to get more scraps? That's always a possibility. So it really depends on what the situation is there. I will usually tell my clients if they have a dog like this, we don't want to reinforce bad behavior. So a lot of times in this situation, the dog will act like this and the owner wants them to stop. So they'll they'll wait for the dog to, you know, do the growl and then they'll give them something, which basically lets them know if I keep growling like this, I'll get something eventually. What I usually say is, is skip over all that. If every single night this happens, it, it's, it's not a sometimes thing. It happens every single night when you eat dinner. I would give that dog a frozen Kong, a frozen marabone and put them on their bed in the living room or near, they can still be near you. They don't have to be like exiled or anything like that. It's not a punishment. No, not at all. We just want, we want to distract them and have them do something else. That's uh, a more manageable behavior, something that's deemed more appropriate during that time. And I get it as a dog, I'd be super pissed if I just had to sit there and watch my owners eat at the table. You know, we should give them something to do while we're eating. So they're distracted and and they're getting a little mental stimulation. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people think that they're spoiling their dogs. Well, I shouldn't have to give my dog anything while I'm eating. Yes, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to give them something to stay busy so they don't get themselves in trouble and then in turn ruin your mood for the night. So give, give him something somewhere else before you even sit down and hopefully we can bypass that behavior. So Ariel's having an issue with Tatiana mm-hmm. dot. She has been weird with other dogs, but only when Ariel is around. She does great at daycare. And when she's with Adam, which I guess is Ariel's significant other. They just got married. Congrats, oh, congratulations. Ariel. Ariel's husband, Adam. So Dot's dad. And uh, she's done it for quite some time, but now it's more often. She's not aggressive, but just not the friendliest to other dogs. And it's only with me. Okay. So I can really spell this one out because I actually trained Dot from the beginning when Ariel first adopted her. She is the sweetest little pity. I mean, she's so tiny. She's like not even 40 pounds. She's ridiculous. Um, Ariel loves this dog more than I can say. When you are with the two of them, you can just literally feel the love pouring out of both of them. They're obsessed with each other. And not to say that Dot is not obsessed with Adam. It's just a different type of relationship. Um, I think because, and I'm not sure what Adam does, and I don't know if he was home during quarantine, but I know that Ariel was absolutely home. She could not work during that time. So now that she's starting to walk her more and there's more people out, I'm assuming that Dot is becoming a little bit more protective of Ariel to begin with just because now she's had her home. Mm-hmm. She's used to going in the crate during the day and our girls will come and walk her. But now that's not happening. So she's spending all to her time with mommy and now she's going outside and she's like, hey, that's my mom. So like Ariel said, she's not being super aggressive, but she's definitely being a little bit protective. And to work on that again would go exactly back to what I was saying about what Lauren was describing as, you know, dog leash reactivity. Um, a little bit different of a reaction from Dot, but still 
letting Dot know every single time other dogs are around, she's getting a treat. She's being told she's a good girl and this and that. So we have to change our behavior maybe a little bit. And and I know Dot will sometimes let, uh, I mean, I know sometimes Ariel will let Dot meet dogs on leash, but I think it's only really dogs that she knows well in her complex. So it depends on, you know, what the situation is. If Dot's only doing it when, when dogs come up and approach her and, you know, maybe Ariel's talking to the owner on, on they're all on leash. Maybe the standing there is making her feel very stagnant and possessive. It really depends on the situation. But the more you talk to her and the more you praise her, the better Dot's going to feel about the situation. But getting back to normal life will most likely fix this as well. Once Ariel goes back to work full time, I'm assuming it will maybe die down a little bit. Poor Dot. I know. I love she's her. such a sweet girl. She's the best. She probably thinks she's doing the right thing here. Yep. Um, so Nicole says, my five-month-old corgi will seem to snap and nip, growl, snarl at my husband and I when he has something in his mouth, and we try and take it away from him. We have tried holding a toy in front of him and or distracting him with a treat, but we want to try and nip the aggressive behavior in the bud. So this is a really good question. And as you know, our friends Nicole and Frank are dealing with the same issue. This is a big thing for puppies. And a lot of times people go the wrong route because they have been told in history, this is what you're supposed to do. This is the way that you are supposed to raise a puppy is basically anytime they have something that does not belong to them, we chase after them, we tell them no, we take it out of their mouths. We are setting ourselves up to have a dog that is going to deliberately take things for no good reason, just for attention, negative attention, obviously, and or depending on their personality, become a garter because now they find value in something that has no value. Right. So let's say it's a uh, it's a sock. A sock has no nutritional value, None. no entertainment value, unless they really get a kick out of shredding <laughs> it. But most of the time, they're not shredding these things. Exactly. That's a really good point. Most of the time, they're not eating or destroying the things that they are taking. So theoretically, this these items possibly have zero value. Zero. But by chasing them and making, in their mind, a game out of it, you've added value to it. And even if it's not a game and it's just attention from you, you chasing them, trying to do a trade, trying to do this, trying to do that, mm -hmm. there's value in it now because instead of just being a sock, this is that magical thing yeah. that gets mommy, daddy to give me all the attention and chase me around the house. Absolutely. My clients last night, we literally just talked about this. It was hysterical. They, so she's telling me it's, we're talking about a sock and he will literally stand by the laundry room and wait for the basket to come out to look for a sock. Now, otherwise, he's a really good boy, but he knows mom gets excited when he takes her socks. So I said, does he ever do anything to the sock? She's like, no, he just holds it. And I'm like, so what do you do? You chase him? And she's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, next time I want you to literally ignore him. I don't even, I don't even want you to look at him. I don't even want you to make eye contact. And I said, when he grabs it, does he basically show it to you? Like, does he come in front of you, show you the sock and then go to run? She's like, oh my God, yes, he does. And I'm like, he's trying to get your attention because he knows he's not supposed to have it. So this really only goes for dogs that are not destroying the things that they're grabbing. Obviously, if they're going to chew it and it's something valuable to you or they're a dog that swallows everything, then this is that's a different situation. But in this situation with Charlie, he literally just takes the sock and then waits for them to come chase him. And he specifically goes behind the couch because he knows they can't fit back there. So I said, ignore him. So smart. So smart. 
don't look at him. And even if like he comes back in front of you, do not make eye contact. You, you need to make him think, can they see me? Am I invisible? And you will see them drop the sock because you took the value away. Right. Now it's just a sock. You'll, you'll, whatever that item is, you can almost always count on finding it just in some peculiar plate, peculiar. Wow. <laughs> peculiar place on yes. the floor. Uh huh. Um, because they just drop it. They don't care anymore. And another All suggestion. Right, it's just a sock. Another suggestion I gave them was take a bunch of socks and throw them on the floor. He's going to be now like, you're playing Wait, mind games. What? You just gave me all the socks. You're living in 3020. <laughs> Do you remember Jamie's dog, Sailor? Yeah. When we yep. were we were literally at we our house. We talked about this. Yeah. We were literally at our house planning our Halloween event last year. And he got up on the counter, grabbed something. I don't even know what it was. And he looked at her and he went to run. Right. You, that's the thing. Yeah. The eye contact. The like, eye contact. You know when they're doing this and when it, they're just getting into something yeah. and they're going to chew it and swallow Absolutely. it. Like it's a different story than... Obviously, what we're saying doesn't apply here, but when it's the chasing around and in, in this this game of cat and mouse, mm-hmm. that's exactly what's going on. And like you said, yes. Sailor knew what he was doing. One hundred percent. Grabbed, some, grabbed. It didn't matter what he grabbed, but then he made eye contact. Game on. Let's go. He ran and out then of he the runs. room. He ran out of the room. None of us moved, and he came back like thirty seconds later. Peeked his head around the corner. He's like, "Um, hello." Yep. <laughs> and then he dropped it after we continued talking, and he came and laid down next to her. Yep. yep. So. Got to stop giving into it. If that's the situation, that is my advice. Now, to touch on the fact that she is saying we try, so they want it, they physically want to take it away from him, but this is also the, a big problem. When you're physically taking something from a dog, like you're kind of reprimanding them and they're realizing that. So if they're allowing you to do it in the beginning, they're going to get smarter and they're going to either start r- really running away from you or they're going to start growling and and or guarding the object. They most of the time I will never usually physically take anything from a dog, especially if it's you know in 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 realm here. I mean, she's talking about aggressive behavior, so he's definitely growling and snapping. Now most puppies that age don't do that, so you can most of the time take something out of their mouth very swiftly and it not be a big deal. But in this situation, this dog is obviously nipping, growling, and snarling, so it understands that that thing, whatever it is, has value. Right, and he does not want you to have it. One hundred percent. So when you go to physically remove it, you are putting yourself at risk, and you're you're giving your dog an option to hurt you, which they don't want to do. This is not something that they they seek out to do. This is not like a cause and effect type thing where he's thinking, I'm going to go take this. So mom's going to come over here, try to take it so I can bite her. The the biting is a side effect of the issue. So keep that in mind. But we want to we want to eliminate the option for the biting to happen. So in that situation, I would never physically take anything from a dog. I want them to give it willingly. Now, then we get into the realm of when it comes to treats, we don't want to treat a dog for taking something naughty because if you have a dog that's smart enough to realize, okay, I can take this item so I can get a command to get food, that that is a, a slippery slope. So what we want to do is ignore if you can, and if you can't, you need to find a way to switch up the situation. So if your dog takes, let's say, a sock and is going to eat it and or you know really guard it, this and that, it's an, it's an important sock, let's say. You need to switch up the situation somehow. Okay, come on, Remy. Let's make this up. Remy, let's go outside. But we're doing it in an exciting way where we're not even realizing that Remy has the sock. He needs to think, oh, we're just going outside. So you're getting him out of that guarding state 
If you've ever seen a dog that guards, they're literally in a fog where nothing else matters. See red. They see red. They get super low, super crunched over whatever they have. And they'll usually try and find themselves underneath a table, a chair, somewhere where you physically can't get to them. Um, and this is, this is what we don't want. We need to get them out of that fog. So we got to do something different. Um, and you know, you can go into the kitchen, you can start cooking something, but always having an eye on them, but even sometimes having someone out of the situation. So let's say Nicole is downstairs and this is happening. Her husband may be upstairs. Maybe she calls her husband, come downstairs. And and now we're switching up the situation. He's coming down. He wasn't a part of the issue. Come on, Remy, let's go outside. And maybe he can detach from it and snap out of that issue and go outside and drop the sock. So we're getting him out of that fog. So that's a, it's a slippery slope, but you know we can talk about that some more on another that, episode. That obviously doesn't sound like a fix to the issue, but if no. you avoid this situation enough times, it's just gonna it'll go away. Yeah, you need to stop the cycle of this being a routine. Yeah, break that cycle and continue to break it, and eventually that'll just stop being their go-to. Nicole, give me a call. I'll help you. Okay, we are coming towards the end of our time again. Yes, but. Uh, Amy says, we have two dogs. Our youngest always goes crazy when anyone comes over, even if it's someone he has seen many times before, like my grandma, for example. He goes crazy, jumping, barking, running everywhere. If someone sits down, he tries to jump up, lick their face. We try and use common commands that he knows, like wait and sit. My mom has tried getting these treats that she doesn't always get a lot, like Trader Joe's salmon treats to use as a reward incentive in nothing. Any advice? Of course. So... There, it's it's almost like a two-part thing here. When someone's coming into the house, I always suggest my clients teach the wait command, which is your basic stay. And the dog should be in a designated spot every single time. So at least, I would say, five feet away from the front door where the person's coming through. They need to sit and wait. And then Amy would slowly backwards, you know, walk backwards towards the door and let her grandma in. If the dog moves and budges, the the door closes and the dog goes back. We've discussed this many times on different mm-hmm. podcasts. Podcasts. <laughs> We've discussed this many times on different episodes. And it's really an amazing thing to teach your dog and you'd be surprised how great their behavior is once they are forced to sit and wait until the person comes in. Now, she did say that they tried common commands like wait and sit, but it sounds like you need to do more work on those commands. It sounds like they need to yes, be reinforced because absolutely. They, they, it's falling on deaf ears, evidently. Well, what what we always say is practice with the people that are the least exciting. Mm-hmm. So they need to practice on the people who live in the house before they go to grandma. Grandma's right. the big kahuna. Again, like we've been saying this entire time, everything that we're doing is in baby steps. You never give the the head honcho to start out with. You can't expect it. So I would have her start from scratch. This is another dog that I've trained, but it was like two years ago. So they, I think they need to they need to go back to kindergarten and start again with the weight at the door. Uh, back up slowly. Open the door. There's nobody there. Close the door. She walks back nicely to him. So he understands, okay, when the door opens, I still need to be calm regardless of what is behind there or not behind there. Um, so that's that's the waiting at the door. The idea is to keep them at, at a nice level of five instead of going zero to ten. Because zero to ten is when they go cuckoo and they cannot recover nicely and then that's when they get yelled at. You keep your dog at a five and then physically let the person into your house, you're going to have, have a, a way more calm dog, which isn't going to get into trouble. Now, touching on the fact that she was saying the Trader Joe's treats, the salmon ones, again, like I said with... Um, the earlier one with the dog reactivity on leash, you need to use something really good. If this is the dog's biggest issue, you need to use smelly food, cheese, roast beef, turkey, 
whatever you got, steak. It's got to be something that they don't normally get so they can work for it. So he has to see, oh, I never get cheese. I really need to settle myself down if I want the cheese and I want grandma. Two great rewards. So they have to keep it together. The faster they keep it together, the faster grandma comes in the house. Poor grandma. Poor grandma. It's always the grandmas. Mm. Um, and I guess we could finish up with this one. Your Aunt Christine says, yes. my friend's dog does not like men. Actually, he goes to bite them when her husband walks him. So I don't know if she means goes to bite her husband or it only goes to bite men when the husband walks him or if only the husband walks him. But I think it's the other. I think it's he actually goes to bite men when her husband is walking the dog. Okay. So maybe protective of dad. Maybe. Yeah. Because if dad can get close, then it's not necessarily a men thing. Yeah. Obviously, we have very limited info on this. Yes. But we've addressed everything else that it could be in other questions. So let's talk about if it truly is a genuine fear of men. Mm -hmm. It's common. Mm -hmm. Men are usually rescue dogs who have been abused prior. Absolutely. Usually men are the abusers. Unfortunately, yes. You guys are taller. You loom more often. You guys. Loom as in. You hunch over. Like threateningly. Yes. Yes. Um, But not even, most of the time, not even knowing it. Oh, all the time. Like hunched over, not proper posture. see it all the time. Um, And it's always like the six foot plus guys. Always. Always. Or they'll like, or they'll like put their hand on their knee and kind of bend down a little bit, which makes them loom even more Mm -hmm. because their head's like falling over. And I'm like, no, stand up straight. Stop it. Um, You guys have deeper voices. Women. We do that to our baby all the time and he laughs. So when you when women speak, we have much higher pitched voices. So we have that baby voice. Hey, good boy. How you doing? When we do that, they get excited. A lot of men can't do that and or are not willing to do that. I think that it's mostly <laughs> not willing to do that. Yes. Uh, nobody wants to look like an idiot, but that's literally what I do. No shame day in, in and day out. talking to puppies and babies oh, with your no. high pitched voice. Absolutely not. I think I talk more like that than I talk like a normal person most of the time. I'm talking about as a man. Oh, okay. I was talking (laughs) about me. So if it is a fear of men, similarly to everything else that we're talking about, we have to desensitize in a positive reinforcement way. So you need to have your man friend, whoever you can find that is dog savvy. Now, this is not just a person who likes dogs. You need a dog savvy person who knows how to respect a dog's space, read body language, and wait for the dog to come to him. So we want to put them in a non-threatening situation. Uh, I usually suggest the man to be on the floor and give really high-value treats, and mom and dad both have to be saying, you're a good boy, you're a good girl, you're fine. We're not coddling, we're giving confidence. So that is definitely something that she can work on. Well, that would be counter-conditioning to not be afraid of men. Yeah. Is basically the goal. And that's yeah. really, that's something you should probably... or. Your, your friend should probably call a trainer to work on, yes, a positive reinforcement trainer. Not something you should be doing by Not yourself. a balanced trainer, nope. not an aversive trainer, a positive reinforcement trainer. Otherwise, you're going to make that issue finely ingrained and it's never going to go away. Absolutely. The you dog should use, never get yelled at. You need to use positive reinforcement to fix that. 100%. They need to think every single time a, a, a man is around, only good things happen. On the last Q&A from last week. Uh-huh. I talked about the Adaptal spray, the pheromone spray, yes. and how it is not looking so hot mm-hmm. anymore. Yes, you did say that. So I was kind of shocked. I have anecdotal evidence from the shelter with the howl dogs that this had worked, right? Uh-huh. But there's no way, without a control group, there's no way to know where they just decompressing on their own. A dog goes in a shelter, and after a week, they're a totally different dog than when they first walked in. They decompress and they adjust. 
So a study came out, and unfortunately, it's not a public study. You have to pay to access it. It's like $31, or you, if you uh, have access through your university, if you go to college. Did you pay $31? No, but I, <laughs> I, got, the, I got the connect. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay. It's posted in the Journal of Veterinary Behavior, and it found that dog-appeasing pheromone did not reduce stress levels of dogs separated from their owners. Dog-appeasing pheromone is a substance produced by lactating female dogs to aid in bonding between mother and pups. It's available in diffusers as a stress relief product for dogs, namely Adaptils, the one that we've recommended in the past. Mm-hmm. In this study, scientists did an, owners, did an experiment where 10 dogs were separated from their owners and with or without exposure to dog-appeasing pheromone. They measured various indicators of stress, both behavioral, example, barking, and physiological, like heart rate. They found no difference in stress levels when dogs were exposed to dog-appeasing pheromone and when they were not. The sample size was small, but if there was a strong and reliable benefit to using dog-appeasing pheromone, you would expect to see a hint of that in the results. Perhaps the effects vary a lot between dogs, and some dogs may indeed benefit. More research is needed. Thank you to Dog Science Says on Instagram for uh, getting that study out there for the people like me who don't want to spend $31. (laughs) I'm glad they're starting to do studies like this. I feel like it's, it's like brand new that these types of things are coming up. Because up until now, dog training has been looked at as like a very traditional thing. And now positive reinforcement is actually becoming very popular, whereas it wasn't in the years past. The more we get science involved, the better. Obviously, everything we do is is Mm science-based. It's science-based dog training. That's why I like to push these studies on the show. And that's why I like to adapt as we go along. Adapt, there's no pun intended on adapt, though. (laughs) Adapt as we go along, and that's why I'm going to have to remove Adapto from our recommended products because the science, at least at this point, no longer really indicates that we should be recommending it, yeah. and it's not cheap. No, we, we're not here to waste anybody's money. So we no. will continue to stay on top of the trends in science and just get the best information out there that we can. Sorry, Adapto. I really apologize if you listened to the episode like from season one. You just listened to it in order to Daptil, and now you're listening to this. <laughs> Get Amazon's, your money back. Amazon's got a good return policy. They so do. That's all we have for this episode. Like and subscribe and... Do all those things that John always hey, tells you to do. Hey, we got a couple five-star reviews. Did we? Yeah, I think like two of them in the last week. So that's nice. cool. There you go. Keep begging people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> all right. Analytics are looking good. We got a lot of listeners, and I think people are really enjoying... But we're going to try and continue to curate a very interesting podcast. And it's going to be, or it is, and it's going to continue to be the podcast for dog people. So definitely send us your feedback so we can adjust and get more information that you guys want to hear. And uh, we have some interviews lined up that are going to be coming on soon. So Some fun interviews. That's all we have for this episode. Until next week. Class dismissed.